Before we get into this episode, I just want to say a massive thank you to this week's sponsor. FC Sensory are a football club based in Coventry, England, offering free blind football sessions to people under and over the age of 16. They are currently offering taste sessions for people who may have not tried uh, blind football previously or just want to get back into it due to the lack of opportunities within Coventry and the surrounding areas. Personally, when I grew up in Coventry and I lived in Coventry, I didn't have the opportunity to play blind football or any disability sport for that matter. So thanks to FC Century, they are now giving young people and older people a chance to get back into a sport that many people love. And when you do become visually impaired or blind, not everyone realises that it's still possible and you can still go and play a sport on a regular basis, weekly. And the best part of this, to begin with, it's free. So if you know someone or you are one of those people that would like to know more details or get involved, then email fcsensory at protonmail.com. That's fcsensory at protonmail.com. And they will give you all the relevant details and anything else that you would like to hear from the club themselves. And yeah, let's get into the episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of That Blindness Podcast and the fourth and final episode in the Accessibility in Football series. If you haven't already, please go and check out the other three episodes where I speak to Clive and Ash, the Coventry City fans, with Ash being a wheelchair user, the second episode being with Nathan Edge, the Blind Mansfield Town fan, and the third episode being with Owen Davies, who is the CEO of Level Plainfield. But today I'm going to be speaking to two people one of them is also a level playing field employee, and that is Liam Bird. And the other is the Nottingham Forest Disabled Supporters Association chairperson, and that is Lindsay Nutt. Guys, how are you? Not too Very bad. Much. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you. thank you for inviting us. No problem. Thank you for both taking time out your, I'm sure, busy afternoons to, to come on and, and talk to me. So, obviously, football season's just started. Um how is it for you guys in both of your kind of respective uh, areas? And obviously for you, Lindsay, in the DSA and for you, Leon, uh, with Level Playing Field. The start of the season is always something that comes around really, really quickly. Um, one of the things I think might come across is how football and being a Forest fan or another fan is a really good way of disabled fans to connect with each other um, and get social contact with each other. So um, it's come around really quickly, um, and I think we're looking forward to getting getting going properly um, as well. It's our second one back in the Premier League, so it's always a bit stressful as well. I'm sure it's stressful. <laughs> um, so from Level Plainfield's point of view, it's as you kind of correctly said, our season doesn't really stop because once yeah. the football season's over, True. you've got cricket, you've got Wimbledon, the tennis, you got the F1 coming with Silverstone, where we're continuously working within sport. But because football is our predominant work, it for us, it's kind of getting ready to uh, be able to uh, help clubs and help supporters. So what I mean by that is making clubs aware of maybe some issues that 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 that, that they probably haven't focused on for first games. So that can either be parking, ticketing, um issues that might arise for fans who might be attending their first game so something we do and we hand it out to all disabled support associations in in england and wales is essentially a first game guide 
Um, so it, it assists any supporter um, who's thinking about going to attend live football for the first time. So in there, you've just got some guidance and, and uh, kind of pushing you to the correct people to help you and maybe uh, ease those nerves that you might be attending for the first uh, first game of football. But unfortunately, it, it it's a sad it's a sad thing to say, but the first game usually means we start getting our first complaints, first issues from supporters who are who are contacting us, and and then it's working with the clubs to try and iron out these issues and and make sure that they don't arise again. So, even though we're working a lot behind the scenes to to try and proactively um, ease any issues that might be arising, unfortunately they still do come. So um we're 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 frantically trying to uh make sure that these these issues get raised and uh dealt with mm, yeah we can definitely dive deeper into that and kind of what you guys do level playing field when you comes to working with football clubs um like directly and, and saying goes for you Lindsay. but i suppose the natural place to start would be individually how you like both got into football and then obviously the positions that you're in now and I think it's worth pointing out at the moment uh, obviously we know Lindsay's a Nottingham Forest fan but pure coincidence Liam you're also a Nottingham Forest fan so you're you both going to you both going to support the the same the same team and I suppose similar stories are both going to come out of how you got into football but um, Lindsay do you want to start off how you got into football and eventually got to your position now? Yeah, yeah. Um, you want me to do those both together? Um, yeah. Well, I'm old enough that I started going in the nine in the mid 1970s. Um, my father was so astounded I got an A for effort in my first secondary school report. Um, that he bought me a ticket, and it was a really cold night, and um, the proverbial mist strolling in from the Trent stopped the game. It was abandoned at half time. But um, as an 11-year-old, I just really, really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the atmosphere. I enjoyed spending time with my father. We come from a footballing family. Um, my relatives have played for and coaches Reading Football Club. So we've got, although we're from Nottingham, but Reading Link. Um, and I think from then on, I've just carried on going. And that's how I got into it. It's a bit... Um, it's almost like I say it's in your blood. Once you're into football, it's quite hard to get out of it um, through a lot of things we'll talk about um, later. Um, so I've been going for sort of 47 years now and I still wear the same scarf I wore back um, 47 years ago. Um, so that's how I got into it. Do you want me to say how I got into my role where I am now or after when Liam said he got into football? Uh, yeah, Liam, you can you go ahead and then we'll, we'll dive deeper into your into your roles, yeah. Yeah, no problem. So I am I'm uh, my forest fandom came in the 90s, which uh, was kind of a bittersweet moment because that's when the era of Brian Clough was finishing. And uh, let's just say it hasn't been um, all all uh, all roses uh, <laughs> since then. <laughs> um, I did have a Frank Clark uh, quarterfinals of Europe. Uh, yeah, it would have been with what's called the Europa Cup now. Um, formerly something else, my mind's gone. Um, so my fandom came about out of spite, if I'm completely honest. So my dad is a Leeds fan, Ooh. and he took me to go and watch Forest Leeds because I, I grew up in um, a small town called Newark in Nottinghamshire. And uh, being a kid who wanted to just be mischievous and and do the opposite of of what your dad does, I wanted to support Forest. I was there to support Leeds, but I was there to support Forest. And just from that, out of stubbornness, 
I became a Forest fan and um and I'm I'm I feel like I've made the right decision uh and because uh, <laughs> uh, I feel like the Leeds and Forest comparison is it's kind of eerily similar at times um so uh yeah um been a Forest fan since the mid 90s uh my my heroes was like uh Chris Bart Williams and uh Steve Shettle and Colin Cooper and all those kind of players Steve Stone Ian Wone uh, essentially all the back room of Burnley now are, are, are all my heroes. Um, so that's how I became a Forest fan. That is a, that is a unit. I don't think I've ever heard that before in defiance of your father. Like. Yeah, it's just spite, just pure spite is how, how my fandom came about. So we've got the total opposite. We're both Forest fans, but mine was very much a deep connection to my father, who sadly passed away. <laughs> and Liam's is, I did spite my father in other ways, I must say, but like the football <laughs> bit was the bit I did stick with him on. I think uh, it just shows the kindness of ourselves there, Lindsay. You're you're so kind and and uh, very uh, well, very giving. Where I am kind of like, nah, I'm just going to do the opposite of what this person trying to tell me to do. Uh, you know, it, it it works out. It's not you know, could be worse. You could be, you could have chose a club and it could have completely backfired. And you know, you know, like not not County or or some other Derby, yeah. So yeah, that, that that is interesting that you've got both completely different routes into football. But like you said, it'd be good to now kind of get um yeah your journey of becoming where you are now. So obviously, Lindsay, you being the DSA um, chairperson of uh, Nottingham Forest. Um, so yeah, do you want to yeah explain away? Yeah, um, yeah, I mean. Um, it's it's a very grand to- title. I like to think I'm still very an ordinary fan, um, just with a very privilege to have that kind of role. But um, my background um, before my disability and health really started to have a real big impact was as a community worker. So my interests, my two great loves of football and engaging and working with community groups across the um, across the country. So um, so I've always been involved in supporter club. Um, activities um and and but when my um disability really kicked in and I had to give up my season card stroke ticket whatever we call them now um it really really had a huge impact on me um and I decided I really had to try and get back to football I couldn't live without it I couldn't live without going it was too 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 big a part of my life not to go and it was an example I'm sure a lot of people with disabilities will relate to when you do something, something for the best and you don't realise until it's gone just what a big part of your life it is. And then you go through the process of, right, I'm not going to let this stop me. I have to work around having a disability and still doing what I love. So I got in contact with Forest. Forest were really, really good. They did actually let me, I don't know, I've never heard of any other club doing it. I have very severe tinnitus and chronic fatigue. Um, actually let me sit in the disabled box, which is normally just for people with very severe mobility problems um, and on a match-by-match basis. I then joined the Supporters Trust, uh, Nottingham Forest Supporters Trust, because I felt if I was having um, issues, then there'd be lots of other fans that were having issues around disability. And I'd met some of the other fans in that disabled box. Um, just when I first met Liam, got in contact with Liam as a member of the Supporters Trust Board to look at how we could make sure that Forest fans were involved in feeding their views back to the club, getting involved, 
at that stage, I was looking at doing it through the Supporters Trust Board as a disabled member of that. For various reasons, that didn't quite work out, but they did help us getting on our way. Um, working closely with Liam and having other contacts with other disabled supporters associations, which was invaluable, really thought that the best way forward was set up a separate disabled supporters association for Forest. Um, and then COVID hit, didn't it, Liam? We, we had a, we, COVID hit. We had quite a few meetings through Zoom. And then as COVID tailed off, um, we had a meeting at the city ground, Forest City Ground, our home ground, and invited people to come and if they were interested in setting up a DSA, and if so, would they like to be involved? And that was in hard to believe now, only just over a year ago, April 2022. And from that, um, so many people came forward, said they'd like to be involved in a steering group um, stroke first committee. Um, as we probably know with a lot of groups, nobody really wanted to be chair. I wasn't that keen on on putting myself forward, but I was asked to do it. And and as long as I could do it in a very involving way. Um, so that's so so then we offered other people the chance to be it. So I've been taking on that role now for about a year and a half. And we'll soon come up to our first official AGM when people will have the opportunity to do that. So that's how it came about for me being a chairperson. But I am working with an absolutely brilliant committee um, and I'm always very clear and conscious that my views they're not my views i just a channel through which they can be um can be channeled through disabled fans in the committee yeah that, that is fascinating that obviously time has changed in terms of the view that football clubs have on people with disabilities and the extra lengths that some football clubs go to even though they don't you know have to so to speak you know, for example, them giving you access to the, the disabled box. Um, just for you personally, just off the back of that, what obviously I, I personally know with the feeling of if football is taken away from you as a disabled person, you know, especially when it's such a big part of your life, what, how would you kind of, how important, how, how would you describe the importance of kind of, I don't mind being able to... this, I'm quite an open person. Um, it was the first time I'd ever run the Samaritans when I realised just how much I get, giving up my season ticket meant because mm. it meant a lot of social contact. I was angry with my disability. Like I don't know about a lot of other disabled. I blamed my disability rather than the situation, really. Um, I have been fortunate stroke. Depends how you see it. Um, I cared for my father for many years. Um, and when he died... I was able to transfer his ticket. This was just last season over. So I have now got a, a season ticket back. I've now got a season ticket. I have to wear, we're talking about ear defenders. So I've moved out of the disabled box and I'm in the main area with very loud. But it's, I think something will come up maybe through the podcast. It is about getting to the games, but it's also about the huge feeling of belonging and of being equal in some ways that being a football fan, whether it's Forest or gives you. And that's what I had lost. I had lost one of the things that kept me going. Um, and that's when we talk more about what the DS is and, and the roles we have. It's not just about getting to the ground. That's an important part. Um, but if, but it's a, so, yeah, so 
So it really did impact on me because mine has been an acquired disability. It's something I really had to get my head around. Um, mm. And sorry to go on. Interestingly, at a meeting we had last week, I talked to three other people in the same position who had had jobs whose disability had come on, for want of a better word, in the last two or three years and were feeling completely cut off from society, cut off from everything. And they now want to come and join the DSA as a way of being a Forest fan but also of getting some of their self-worth back. So I think it's it's a connecting thing. I think sport is a great connector. And, and when we talk about the access to grounds, we also have to work really hard to make sure that when we say we feel equal because we're an equal Forest fan, we have an equal opportunity to get to the matches because we can feel equal in that we're all wearing the red and white scarf and we're all bonkers about certain players and our history, but if we can't get there, that equality is a different type of equality. Yes, it's a feeling equality of emotions, but not of accessibility. Mm. And if you don't mind me doing, just quickly jumping on that. Uh, yeah, sure, yeah. I, I think it kind of shows you the power of what a disabled sport association actually is, because I think there's a misconception of what they are. I think from a club point of view, they might see it as like um, a part of my French, a pain in the bottom to them. Like mm. They're there to harass them about trying to make improvements. And 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 that is a part of it. But it's also, as Lindsay said, it is that social element of it. DSAs are, are in a position whereabouts they, they know what it's like to be excluded mm. from their football club because either of access or because of access. But also during the pandemic, it really did heighten what it was like to lose football. Mm. And in a weird way, it also showed non-disabled supporters of how important football is. So there is an element of empathy that I think wouldn't have been there prior to the pandemic when disabled supporters talk about the importance of attending live football and why it's important that we do improve infrastructure and we do improve accessibility because football should be for all. Um, and, and Lindsay's absolutely bang on when she talks about the importance, as, as she said, about that kind of community aspect. There is a DSA called uh, the Swans, Swansea City, Swans DSA, and they are fantastic at the community aspect of what they do as a disabled sport association. And, and that's the beauty of a DSA. They can pick and choose what it is that they want to be. They, they might want to be that kind of um continue to be that critical friend of the football club as well as that so have that social aspect or they can be what is a kind of a traditional trust whereabouts it is fully so so folk solely start again solely focused on football and that's it um i i like the social aspect of, of a dsa because i think it is unique whereabouts for disabled supporters or disabled people in general Having an opportunity to get out and network and socialize is something that can't be taken for granted if you have a disability. So mm. that having that arm of a DSA is is something that I'm a massive advocate for. I think and, they um can't they, they can they can complement each other as well. It's not an either or, it's yeah. not either we're just all problems and we're gonna bring the club to task about this or we're all just social stuff. So for us, quite a few people, we recently had our first social event, which has been a while coming. Quite a lot of people that came to that, that are people that had first made contact with me because they couldn't get a parking space or they couldn't get a ticket for Wembley. Then there were people at that social event who, by being able to meet us and chat to us, said, 
I'm really struggling with such and such. So they're very much part and parcel of the same thing. And likewise with working with the clubs, we've got a good relationship with Forest, but we still raise issues. I've just emailed them today to ask them about something and, and said, thank you for this, but can I just remind you that? Because something's happened this week that's upset fans. So, so it's working together, but it's not one thing or the other. It's not all bad things or all good things. And it's giving people opportunity to do both both together. And I think that's that's how we like to be. Um, not all DSAs are the same. Um, and it's also another key thing, which you linked to as well, Jamie, it's about, key thing for me is, I'm probably going off track a bit, disabled people doing it for ourselves. Mm. You know, we're, we're perfectly, and that's one thing that has frustrated me. Partly it came from myself. My confidence went massively when my life changed. I lost all my work, confidence, everything. Um, but we can do it for some, We don't need somebody else to set up a group for us. We don't need somebody else to go and talk to the chairman for us. You know, we're a disabled group for and of and by disabled fans and their carers. And a lot of the disabled groups, our, our disabled committee has predominantly people with disabilities and carers mm-hmm. um, and it's a mixture. But we're able, we're perfectly, so for me, it's about promoting a positive image of disabled people. It's not able-bodied people saying, oh, look, here's another wheelchair space. Mm. It's a group of people with diverse disabilities working with the club and able-bodied people to make everybody feel equal and accepted. And we've used our strap line, we've done it this year, enabling inclusivity. It's enabling each other to do that. Right, okay. yeah, and I think also, obviously, it's one thing, and I've experienced it myself, a disabled person reach out to a club with an issue disability related and that person being able-bodied and then that person not knowing the best way forward or the best practice for your issue. But with a DSA, when you reach out to a DSA with an issue, you know, you're most likely going to be speaking to a disabled person who may not be to have the same disability as you, but know kind of and understand your problem and your concern and therefore be able to approach it in a slightly more proactive way. Would you would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. And a lot of it's education and awareness, isn't it? Mm. And I I didn't really understand until I experienced mine and having a diversity, but working with people, working with the clubs, working with level playing field, working with other... Nobody knows everything about everything. Nobody experiences everything. And it's about that working together um, and and and... I've learned a lot in my first year, you know, mm. about myself, about my disability, but about other people's disabilities. And 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 I there's things I don't know about football and running a football club. Like they don't know certain things about disabilities. Um, but it's it's having to stand up and be countered in a nice but forceful way. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I, yeah, just kind of jumping on that, and that's kind of something when I came to level playing playing field was something that I really did want to emphasize is I know my disability. Like I know my disability. I know how it will impact me going to a match day. But I don't know the disabilities of every person attending Nottingham Forest. Mm-hmm. So for me to assume that would be arrogant and also ignorant to the situation. And this is whereabouts our work at level playing field is so vital uh, for us to have those good relationships with the disabled support associations because they're working on a local level. They, they are working with their clubs to get things done on a local level. Whereabouts our way I see is a level playing field are, are doing stuff nationally, but then also assisting and supporting 
the DSAs on a local level. So my role as fan liaison officer, I work across 60 plus disabled support associations in England and Wales, all in football at the moment, but we are looking to expand into other sports. And, and the way that I see my role is, is just that, is just to offer support and guidance. I'm never going to dictate to the Disabled Support Association that they have to be doing this because they all have different relationships with their club. Mm. I would like every single club to have a positive working relationship with their football club. Not only does it make their life easier, it will also make the football club's life easier. And if I'm being frank, also make my life a bit easier. But I, I know that's not always the case because there's not always that kind of trust or historical issues that have come between a football club and a disabled support association. Mm. So, so what's really important is, is when we talk about um, inclusivity within football, we, we do have to break it down. We have to understand that not everything is the same. Not everyone can be treated the same. This is whereabouts the word equality, I think, is misused. It's not about equality. It's about equity. And it's about having that the right situations for the right for the sorry, having the right situations for the right issues that are arising and not just have a blanket idea of equality because that to me again is a naive way of looking at disability uh, and and why it's so vitally important that for me every single football club has a disabled sport association because they are they they will be for the club a net benefit at times, they might be a pain in their bottom, but there will be a net benefit to that football club and help them bring about a better uh, match day experience for their disabled supporters. Mm. And I think it's like, like with any walk of life and anything within sport and football is working together and recognising that an able po- as an able-bodied person, you're not going to know everything about being disabled, like you said, and as a disabled person you're not going to know anything about running a football club so it's coming together at the right point and connecting your ideas that creates you know this one big idea that will benefit everyone basically you know and the that benefit is disabled people being able to go to in this case football games you know comfortably happily and safely and on the business on the football side of things it's you know whether we like it or not it's business and they're getting those fans through the gates and making money as as horrible as horrible as it sounds when you know we're we're football fans and we see it as more than just a money making or a business kind of venture. Um, but the other thing as well now, sorry, Nindo, is um, and again, having been a community worker beforehand, as well as the making money side of it, rightly or wrongly, and to what extent it's really put in practice, there's now more pressure for want a better word on clubs to actually make their grounds accessible the premier league now has for example when forest got the premier league um last season they have three years like other newly promoted clubs do to put certain things in place including how they work with disabled fans so there's actually that kind of impetus i mean as well as the financial impetus um sadly for me i think the financial the financial side of it uh, and of yes i know there's a lot of disabled fans and you could say like the pink pound or the gray pound unfortunately with football finance is one of the things that i personally feel discriminates quite actively against disabled fans in a number of ways so Mm -hmm. i think yes i agree with both you and liam 
it is good for the club and that's how they see it when we work with them to include fans and to be you know a, a disabled access friendly at my workplace says it's disability confident you know that that kind of um but it but it's also about doing that in practice you can have all well we all know don't we you can have all the paperwork in the world all the processes mm. all the policies and then it's in in practice um but we are a benefit for the club and i i think most well our club do see that but it's how we work to the benefit of everybody mm. Yeah, just kind of of touching on that um disability is the only equality group whereabouts access does have a cost to a Mm -hmm. point um so with with race or with uh, uh, religion or gender or sexuality physical costs regarding access isn't a part of that equality group so i think it is important when we do talk about disability that that we that we do recognise that it is different from other equality groups because of that cost mm. element that is associated with it, and sometimes that that is as as Lindsay said, it becomes it can become a negative. It's not the only part of it. I think there's it doesn't always have to be expensive when we talk about access. Um, something that I talk about a lot with disabled support associations are three small projects, one big project. So three small part projects are easy fixes that can be done throughout the season. And then that one big project is that one that's going to cost money. So that can either be um, uh, changing places, lift access, uh, audio descriptive commentary uh, built into your football club. But those, those simple ones are hooks on doors, full length shelves in mirrors, um, rest areas along the stadium. These are things that are low cost. So I think it, so when we talk about uh, implementing access costs, I think we need to move away from it. It always has to be expensive. It, it doesn't. Mm. But I also do think we need to recognize that disability, when we talk about disability with the rest of the equality group, it is the only equality group whereabouts access is a fundamental part of it. Mm. And I think also um, the impact of that, yes, and I, suppose, I, I do agree with that, I think more more and as well as that the way that financial implications can impact on disabled people more so for example recently we had a huge price increase at at forest i'm not saying every disabled fan has a lower income than every able-bodied fan but for the impact on particularly young disabled people and their carers that change was big i think i also meant that and i'm not talking about forest i'm talking about the way football's changed in general is and particularly as you're higher up you go with the league that your money comes from a greater number of sources so the percentage if, if all the disabled fans at forest or some of the other premier league clubs didn't go tomorrow they would fill those seats 10 times over the, the matches are changed to evening matches um quite a lot because of sky which is where the money comes in and other reasons that makes mm-hmm. it not just for disabled fans because it can also do for children and people live a long way away that impacts, I think, on disabled fans possibly more detrimentally than on able-bodied fans because evening matches can be more difficult. Change not just for disabled fans, but I think there's some of these more tenuous ways that it can impact on fans. But that's a change in football per se, not necessarily in individual clubs. Hmm. Yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd agree definitely. And I think also the whole kind of conversation around access is 
like these days, we're seeing new grounds coming up. You know, you've already had Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. We've got um, Everton's new stadium currently being built. And you're hearing stories all the time about, you know, current stadiums being knocked down and having ones rebuilt. Implementing access from the get-go yeah. will make a huge difference in the long term. And if you have, if you built a brand new spanking stadium, it could be, you know, it could be pouring pints for itself. It could be, I don't know, all this futuristic stuff in the concourse and fancy kind of looks outside in the pitch area. But if you, but if you just have any access, implementing the, you know, extra access issue uh, addressing the issues of access after it's been built they're going to find is a lot more costly compared to if they were to just do it you know during the build or during the the construction of it so i, I think, think we also i think we also need to think about it holistically as well not just the stadium and this is why the ticket closure is such an important issue for us at level playing field because if you can't physically get to the stadium because the infrastructure is not built for disabled people, then you can have the best stadium in the world regarding access, but no one can get there. Mm. And this is why, for me, the the the, the ticket, the, the the train ticket issue is so important. And then also a real a massive bugbear for me is the lack of accessible parking at yeah. football clubs. That's a big because one. If you don't have the parking space, well, disabled supporters are going to turn to their own cars or their own transport. Or, or somebody else driving them to the stadium because the infrastructure on the public's network isn't accessible. So therefore, you can have more of a strain on parking. At the moment, the regulation states 6%, building regs is 10% for accessible parking. That's not enough. It's not enough for disabled people regarding parking because we all know that parking is a premium. But what is also a premium is, is the fact that you, if, if you're a non-disabled person who has full mobility, you being able to park at the club is, is, is in my view, a privilege. For a disabled person who hasn't got mobility, that's not a privilege. That's a necessary need. So mm. we need to look at parking, I think, a lot more yeah. Um, uh, alongside the, the the transport situation, when we're talking about access, because it's not just the stadium, is is everything getting to the match. The way I see it is that the match day starts the moment you leave your front door, and and how we as an organisation is how can we make sure that that match day is as accessible as possible? And unfortunately, right now, as much as the stadiums are improving, and they have over the years, they have improved. I could argue that public transport and everything else that comes along with it, is that improving at the same rate? Mm. I think that's a discussion to have. Um, yeah, but with, with with the closure of tickets, ticket offices, I would say we're going the wrong way. And, mm. and I think another, Leah mentioned when you um, leave your, your door, and I'm sure this with 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 other, other sports, but also, you know, going to cinema or pictures or out for a meal or something. For me as well, it's also getting the ticket in the first place. Um, so one of the changes we've worked with with Forest with um, and we're pleased is up until this season, and I think they've announced it. If they haven't, you're getting a you're getting a newsworthy breaking story. Um, <laughs> if you had a carer, you weren't able to buy tickets online because there was no facility to get the carer's ticket online. Now they did put in other measures to you could ring through, which was great. So some Premier, still quite a few Premier League clubs. That it's difficult to get a carer's ticket online at the same time. 
So your actual extra effort you have to make, because that's to me is what having to, having to make extra effort is even before you get your ticket. Forest have rectified that this season, which is great. It's something they've been aware of and working on. But it's these things that, again, unless you're disabled, I I, I don't need a carer, but we've got people who are carers. So it's it's all these things that contribute to it. Mm. Um, it's not just as it's not just about though this is as equally important how many wheelchair based people have got it's the whole gamut around it which will be the same for other entertainments and other parts of our lives isn't it how mm. you get to work work can make it very accessible for you once you're there but how do you get to work yeah definitely and yeah. no, i completely on your side with the whole carers thing of up until 2021 so obviously first season back after the pandemic um that's when Michael Coventry started allowing you to buy carers tickets online as well as your own but we still have the issue that I experienced um for the upcoming season that for some reason we weren't able to do for season tickets so you know we could buy and renew our season ticket online but we had to um call up the ticket office to renew the carers for some reason um so yeah, issues like that are a massive block, and and for a lot of people, especially if it's your, you know, you're trying football out, or you haven't been for a while, or because you've acquired an additional or a new disability, and then you've gone off football and you're coming back into it, approaching an issue like that where you have to go through all those hoops to just get, you know, be able to go to the game, it it will put people off, and then just people are like I can't be bothered to, you know, make that do all that extra work when other people can just jump online, buy me five minutes, and it will just put people off in the long term. And it can cause anxiety. I have had an email today from somebody whose whose season card has arrived, but their carer's card hasn't arrived. Mm. So with the match two days away, and hopefully it will come in the post by then. But it's the anxiety. Again, Mm. that's somebody with the disability that I I feel I experience more now because everything is just another a a bit harder now. I've managed as best I can. So it's things like like that. But hopefully then as a DSA, one of the things I'd like to do is find out why they're sending them separately and if next season they can be sent out together if that's what they're going to do. But it's these little extra bits, isn't it? Well, they're little, but they're big. Sadly, a hangover from COVID as well has been the lack of staffing ticket offices. Pre-COVID, ticket office was staffed to a relatively decent level. Now, unfortunately, tickets of ticket offices haven't, and because I think we've kind of been forced to to rapidly go digital because of COVID. Um, mm. it, it's been very difficult for disabled supporters when the system's not not in place, the technology isn't in place for disabled people to to be able to um, to as you said to be able to add your additional PA or for lower leagues or lower down the football league they don't have the money to put in that software so they still rely heavily on the phones, but those phones aren't being um, aren't being staffed properly so. I know we've had many issues whereabouts you call a ticket office, it'll ring and ring and ring, and then it'll cut off. Mm. And then you call again, and it's ringing and ringing and ringing, and then it's cutting off. I know of stories whereabouts disabled people have actually paid to go in a taxi, to go to the ticket office, to try and get things fixed. Mm. No other person attending football has to do that nah. because they have access online. It's, it's, it's again, it's as we've spoken about, it's jumping hoops, but it's also an additional cost. 
it wasn't more than about four or five years ago where some football clubs were using premium rate phone numbers still yes. for you to mm. be able to access disabled ticketing. Is is the cost of being disabled to attend football? I think is is something that we don't speak about enough. It seems to be a bit of a taboo subject, mainly mm. because I think disabled people are worried about talking about concession prices. But if we factor in how much more it actually costs to be a disabled person in life, I think that conversation will be more of a frank one where about it would surprise people. Like so, for instance, the Resolution Foundation found out that. Um, people with a disability are earning 44% less than than their non-disabled counterpart in a working age. That's nearly mm. half. So, so when we talk about the cost of attending football or the cost of living crisis, it is a fact that is affecting disabled people a lot more than it is affecting non-disabled people. So when these price rises do come in, it can it can mean that the... the the not attending live football and we've all spoken about how important attending live football is to that person so yes i understand there's cost attached to attending football and there's always going to be increasing prices but let's talk about it in an adult conversation instead of just sweeping changes and not seeing the real effect the human effect it has on the person not mm. being to, not being able to attend live sport because live sport is unlike going to the cinema you have such a deep-rooted connection. It's such a racket, really. Like it is because once you're in, you're hooked. And and it's it's and it's so important to people's day in, day out, disabled or non-disabled. That weekend is something that that you live for, that you enjoy. As as Lindsay said, you go because you want to be connected. Some people go to forget about what's going on in life. Mm. So it is it can people who say it's just football. It is very frustrating because it's not just football. It's a connection. It's an identity. It's being part of your community. So this is why I I am so passionate about my job, because it's not just the sport element of it. It is the societal element that, that we are trying to improve in football. And, mm. and, and unfortunately, I don't see football sees itself like that at times. And, and they really yeah. should, because whoever owns our football club, it doesn't matter what football club you support. They don't own it. They're just they're, they're just paying the bills. We yeah. as supporters own that football club. We're the ones who's driving it forward. We're the ones who's making it a profit. Without us, they're nothing. And this is why it's important that allyship as well, when we talk about disability, allyship is so important because we need to be a one collective voice when we're talking about disability or other equality groups and this is why education is so important and and it, and to, to bring everyone across um so so we, we can do this together because there's more of us than there are of them and i mean them as in the people who are in the football clubs um so so yeah that's why the power of the fan voice is so important and it's why as Lindsay said the power of disabled voices are so important because mm. no one else is going to speak for you yeah those uh those people that you say that that say it's just for what are called rugby fans, Liam. <laughs> <laughs> I, I work in other sports, Jamie. Remember that. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, yeah, that 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 is something that it's it's hard to explain to someone that, you know, doesn't follow football or at least doesn't go to football like the the three of us do, that that it's not just going and sitting in your seat and watching twenty two men kick a football around on a on a pitch. It's everything before 
you know, the, the experiences during with the people that sit around and chat. And then what happens? And then just the memories that stick with you. You know, whether you go on for big parties after you've been promoted to the Premier League or from, you know, a, a league up, it's, it's just it's, those are things that just spam off, you know, positive think, things happening in the football. Sorry, Jamie, I think, and I think as a disabled person, I've been starting to go watch for since I was 11. And um, so that's, you know, nearly mm. half, 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 half a century. But I would say since I've had my disability, it's had such an impact on me. It's become even more important to me. Mm. far more important um because it's a much because I can't work full time now I'm also a carer but but it's the bit that really gives me my joy my sense of of belonging as 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 we say um so yeah I think and I think it's yeah people who don't go to football maybe don't get it like I'm you know I've got friends that love going shopping I don't get going shopping but but also (laughs) people who aren't disabled don't get and I didn't you know until the last 10 years or so the impact of how how important it is for disabled fans as well mm. and it's not about just getting in there to see see them and that's where um you know when we we had our first meet and greet at the city ground on last wednesday liam came it was brilliant we had 45 people there between the ages of eight and 99 what wow. brought them together yes they have a disability and they're a carer but they're forest fans there is no way those group of people would have got together had they not been for being a forest fan and it gave them something to talk about weren't all sitting there talking about oh how long have you been blind or how long have you had to use a wheelchair or how much discrimination do you get they were there they were there because they were disabled and things were being but because they support forest we went and had a picture on the pitch where photograph taken pitch side that's what brought them together as well as having a disability and that's the real power of it yeah definitely and i 100 agree yeah and it's, it's that thing of you know, you could lose on Saturday. Sunday, you kind of go over it. Monday, you, you're looking. It's something to look forward to for the rest of the week. So it it's also has that massive impact on your mental health. And it's something that obviously in this day and age, in this society, you know, everyone likes to you know place extra importance on for you know very good reasons. Um, and whether people like it or not, sport football has a large influence on that. Um, it, it really so. does, um, Jamie, and, and this is why like football plays such a huge part in in society socially. So when so the players taking a knee or or the women's football team talking about um, sexuality, this is why it's so important because people are listening because football has that ability to be able to reach through communities and educate, and this is why for us the Unite for Access campaign is so important. And one of the criticisms I know that we or Kick It Out will get is it's just players wearing T-shirts. There's an element of that, but that's that is just essentially to to publicize it. It's the work that's going on behind it, and because this is why footballs football clubs are inundated with requests for them to to promote or to showcase a, a good cause. Because no other no other sport has that ability to reach into the community and educate in such mm-hmm. a in such a way that it does. And, and this is why I'm get frustrated when people tell footballers just to stick to football. Yeah. Well, they're, they're not just footballers. Like they have also a life outside of football. Football clubs also have a social responsibility to represent their community. The person who support that football club may not align to what the football club's talking about, but they need to understand that they that they that the football club has to. They they have a moral 
um, standpoint to, to represent all members of their of their community of the club that they are stating that they are representing on the football pitch. So mm. this is why um, it is important for 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 I'm going to say it's because I'm biased, but for football to embrace Unite for Access. For people who don't know, this is a national campaign that happens to be ran by Level Playing Field, which highlights good access and inclusion for disabled people. There is no other event happening in football that focuses just on disabled people for a two-week period. So this is why it's so important. This is why Rainbow Laces is so important. It, it, like Any of these equality group weeks are vitally important because it's an opportunity to focus on 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 something that may only get spoken about in certain circles speaking about it in a, in in mass audiences is so important and that's where football is worth its weight in gold because it has that vo- it, it has that audience straight away like mm. um a club that we may not be able to get that much direct contact with their fan base they will have it on one match day and they can highlight disability and somebody who who may have absolutely no idea about disability, if they walk away with one nugget of education, that's fantastic because that person at least has been educated slightly. And also we need to also factor in we're an aging population. So we do need to talk about disability a lot more than what we are doing now because half of us are going to have a disability. The other half of us are going to know someone with a disability. So let's start talking about disability in, in, in again, grown-up terms and, and realistic expectations of what football is going to look like in the next 10 to 20 years. Because the way the stadiums are right now, a lot of supporters are going to really struggle to go to a match day because stadiums haven't been thought about long-term on, on how it's going to impact their fan base. So it is like, I, I've kind of lost the point that I was talking about now, but essentially it is like the power of football and how important football actually is towards mm. its community and it needs to represent his community. Yeah, definitely. And probably as a three and as so many people, we could just, you could just talk about kind of, the importance and the influence and the power that football has on people like ourselves, the wider community, and everything in between. Um, and it's, it's yeah, we're just we're just passionate people. <laughs> what can we say? Um, but obviously to, to focus on you guys that bit more, kind of individually. Um, obviously, Liam, you've already mentioned that you work for Liverpool Playing Field, and you're the fans there as an officer, and you work with was it over is it sixty? Yeah, um, sixty disabled sports yeah. associations. Yeah. Um, so what what is it that you do when you're in contact with a disabled fan or disabled fans of a particular football club and the football club itself? Um, so the way so the way it works in my role, so as family liaison officer, is is essentially that my my job is to project the voice of disabled fans. Um, I will do this through disabled support associations, but I'm also aware not all disabled supporters want to be a member of the disabled support association, even though I heavily advocate that they do become a member. Um, so it's making sure that disabled voices are heard. So I, my job is to make disabled uh, sports fans aware that A, there is a level playing field, uh, B, this is how you can go about raising issues or even it's I really do want to stress it's not all negative. Like I I do go out there to try and find positive news stories that are out there as well. So whenever we so for instance, it hasn't been put up there yet. 
but there it went around socials of a person who has an assistance dog and Brighton sent the assistance dog a personalized uh, season ticket. It's cute. It's a nice story. The club didn't have to mm. go out their way to do that. Has it got anything really to do with access? No, but it's the club recognizing the fact that this person's assistant animal means so much to them actually attending football that they went mm. that extra mile. So it's a cute thing that I really do want to project out there. Um, so my day to day essentially is replying back to any supporter with any issues or or anything they want to flag with level playing field. And then what the way that we have is a process whereabouts is kind of split up in two. My, I engage with all the fan element and then my colleague will, um, he deals with the club side. So it's kind of like good cop, bad cop at times. Um, so I'm always the one who's a lot more passionate, a lot more kind of, uh, I want this done now. And then what what we have at Level Playing Field is a great team whereabouts we kind of will come together and actually have a a a, a, a productive way of working instead of my just ranting and raving and going get this sorted now. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I see it. Uh, is that I am working? So sorry to answer your question regarding disabled support associations. Um, I work to create kind of PDFs or templates to help. Uh, new disabled support associations when they're being created. So understanding what a meeting is, understanding what an AGM is, so an annual general meetings, um, because not all fans who come into this world actually know how to run a meeting. Um, I, I we, we have documentation that kind of breaks down what each role of a, a DSA should look like or, or we suggest should look like. Um, and then it's like, it could be something as obscure as, um uh internal politics between in 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 a DSA or with its football club so my job is to try and ease that build bridges um uh, uh kind of walk a DSA in in how to um bring things back if it hasn't gone to plan um so see so, so yeah it, it, it's a lot of kind of mediating and encouragement and building friendships, if I'm completely honest. Um, mm. I think it's really important for, for me and the job that I do that I can build a relationship with a disabled support association, particularly the chair. And um, if I can't do that, then then I think you just see level playing field as this big organization mm. and and there's no person attached to it. And there is, there's, there's, there's only seven people at level playing field. Um, which usually surprises wow. a lot of people. There's only seven of us. Um, but Did not know that. Yeah. <laughs> Compare <laughs> that to the, uh, the the double digits that you've got over organizations. We're, we're definitely sometimes punching above our weight. But it's really important that, that fans know a face or a person um, when we're talking about the work that we're doing as an organization. Because what you don't want is to, is to lose that personal touch. Because otherwise... You don't have a connection like you do with a fellow support because that's what we all are. Like everyone at level playing field is sports fans, so so we're all fans of sport and we all want want the same thing. Sometimes we just go about it a different way, and and that's okay. Uh, again, a part of my job is explaining that it's okay to to disagree. Like you'd be surprised how many times I do disagree with a, with what's happening at a disabled sport association. 
but that's the route they've taken. All I can do is offer guidance and assistance and, and, and they'll either choose it and it'll go the right way or they'll choose it and it might go the wrong way. And then that's on me. <laughs> and I need to then kind of fix that. But um, yeah, I, I, again, I don't think I've answered your question. I've just kind of uh, no, liked a little bit. About I, mean, what I think from it. a DSA point of view, just, and you know, Liam's very good at explaining what he does himself. I think one of the key, two key things um, for me uh, that link in as an individual, um, that eventually led to the setting up of a Nottingham Forest DSA, that wouldn't have been possible without the support of Level Playing Fields and Liam, because it was that one-to-one support, getting to know each other, the linking with the club. Um, luckily, because I'd been on the Supporters Club and the Supporters Trust Boards, I did have some people that I knew in the club. Mm. If I had had anybody, I think it would have been, you know, to other people in value. And I think the other key thing, um, and Liam gets picked up say, saying this, is he introduced me to other DSAs around the country, Forest in the Championship at the time. And although we hadn't formed a DSA, I went to a Championship DSA uh, group meetings where I met people from other DSAs in particular. There's lots of other ones available and everybody's been supportive, Chelsea and Fulham. And without having got to know them, how their DSA works, but having that personal support, because they they don't always just come about very easily, you know, and having that. So whilst we've got a great committee now, for a good year or so, it was Liam and I gathering people together, getting to know people. And that's a crucial role. And that link of the DSAs with other DSAs, that's been fundamentally important as well. Mm. Yeah, because you, you basically almost half answered the question I was going to ask, Lindsay, in that how does Liam's day-to-day job link in with what you do as the chairperson of the Nottingham, Nottingham Forest DSA? So as yourself, what is it that you do um, You know, on the days that you do focus on the DSA yeah. and then match days and what have you? Yeah, I, th- I think um, you see, with, with Liam, Liam was there very much in the, the the beginning and say having been a community worker by trade, I call it that kind of pump priming, very much there in the beginning, quite intensive support at the beginning. I'm a community worker, I can imagine if people aren't community workers, it's even more invaluable because I, I know what AGMs are and things like that, and then gradually come away, but always be there. They're always there for advice, coming to our meet and greet, Having, having a face, linking in with Unite for Action, having that person, and that's how I see national charities. We know our fans, or we are the fans and our clubs, but having that national charity that has an overview, has the information. So that that's there on that supportive role. If we've had any problems, we always, we've either used Liam or we know he's there. But as we've grown, we're stronger to maybe not need Liam quite so much, which to me is a brilliant community work approach. You help at the beginning and you're there as and when people are needed. My day to day is probably, um, I do probably each week, probably between five and 10 hours. I always feel I should do a lot more. But as a disabled person, I have to acknowledge I also have a disability. I work and I'm a carer. Um, but that is a thing that I struggle with, feel I should do more. And um, I know there are chairs of DSAs across the country who will do a lot, lot more than I do. Um, But I think we're doing okay. We're growing. We've still got a committee of 10 after a year. Um, So on a day-to-day basis, like today, um, before um, spoken to you, I've answered emails from individual fans. 
saying, for example, my carer's card hasn't come. Do you know what I can do about it? We've recently had emails from um, there'd been a big change in one of the stands at, at Forest that's impacted disproportionately on disabled fans. Individuals contacting me, can you help me with this? What do you know about this? So then I will reply to them and say either I can forward this to the club on your behalf or you may want to directly talk to the club yourself about this and CC um, me, me in. Um, also today I've been updating our contact base because after the meet and greet, the social event we organise, we've had a lot more people want to come and join us. So we've, that's now I've just put in the hundredth person on that, which is absolutely brilliant after mm. you know less than, than a year. Um, predominantly disabled people and some carers. Um, also, we have got very active social media team now. Two people um, from my committee do that. So as the chairperson, if there's any longer issue or bigger issues that come up from that, they're asked to email the chairperson and I will deal with that. Some things can be dealt with on social media and communications. So it's very much liaising with the fans and then with the club. And also in terms of the committee about organising the committee meetings, supporting committee members, you know, we all have our own issues. That's one thing I sometimes think, I think we get right and I'd like to be, think we should be proud about that is as disabled fans we have our own issues as well that's that's why we're there so some weeks some people are not well enough to come to meetings I can't do things in evenings because by the evening I can't hear at all so we try and accommodate people and then a key role I think for me is chair which I try and do as um collectively as possible is linking with the committee and then linking with the club mm. so the club um so if there's an issue at the club, the club will come to me. The club, um, I don't know if many of the non-Premier League fans um, know about this. The Premier League has asked all clubs to set, to, um, set up fans' advisory board across. So you mentioned Brighton. I was contacted by Brighton a while ago. So as, as the chair of the Forest Disabled Supports Communication, I am now one of the six people on the first Nottingham Forest Fans Advisory Board, which is meeting on the 6th of September. So that's the way, as the chairperson, it's the role, it's not me. So I will go to that meeting, obviously already be a disabled person at that meeting. Things that come up from that meeting, we will then spread out to disabled fans. And likewise, once it gets going, ask disabled fans what they want us to take to that. So I see myself very much as a conduit. Um, yes, I may be chairperson, but I'm one person of a great committee and a great number of fans working with a club. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's fascinating for me to listen to really because um, at Coventry we're um, kind of starting to get the ball rolling with setting up a disability support association. We've literally just got an email today about the being a meeting next week, and to hear kind of your um, your views and the things that you get up to on a, an hourly basis, whether you know regarding the, the supporters association, it is interesting for me to to um to kind of factor into my thinking of how at the end of the ideas and how I'd like to see our DSA go. Obviously it's not gonna be down to it's gonna be down to everyone as a as a group. But yeah that is that is very interesting. Um so just to kind of hit on that sorry sorry Jamie I think it is really important as Lindsay kind of touched on and 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 I hope Lindsay doesn't mind me saying this. I think Lindsay's very hard on herself. <laughs> 
uh, when when we talk about the work that she does is so important for whoever are part of these kind of positions of I use these in, in, in for commas power that they do make sure that they find time for themselves because being a part of the disabled support association can be taxing it can be long hours it can mm -hmm. sometimes be un, um, unforgiving and 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 quite personal at times mm. but they, there needs to be an element of understanding that everyone who is a disabled support association member is a volunteer they're yeah. giving up their time they're, they're they're trying to do the best that they can um i don't think any member should be doing any more than six hours a week because it's important that you do have your own personal time and and what's vitally important is that you continue to actually enjoy your football yeah. Yeah. because you are a football fan like it is so important that that element is kept that you continue to enjoy your football and going to the football because it can be a very um taxing and sometimes feeling lonely position being a dsa chair mm -hmm. and it's and this is why it's important as Lindsay's spoken about having a good committee around you and not being afraid to delegate as well mm -hmm. um kind of because a lot of when 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 things start out um uh, it, it, sometimes it can happen where someone will take a lot on their shoulders and and they'll feel like this is personally i need to do this because no one else can do it the right way you kind of need to let go of that and and and, and trust people so that they're going to follow you as a leader and um that that's that's the best advice i can give to anyone is thinking about starting a dsa is is a get a good group of people around you because their weight that they are going to be really helpful for you when you're moving forward mm. and and be actually fully understand that the role that you're about to take on is a big role and and it can take up a lot of your life um but when the rewards are good they are really good as Lindsay said i was there um at the meet and greet and as me and Lindsay spoke about this came about from just two people in a room me Lindsay, and i forgot the other gentleman who was there kurt, kurt and and that has blossomed and groomed and, and into a thing whereas it's now 100 members and and nearly 50 people attending football uh, attending attending meetings mm. and, and for me as a forest fan it's great but on a professional level it's fantastic because my job is to nurse and then let go like kind of like when you're pushing riding the bike is to get them riding and then let go and 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 and, and let them go on their way so for me i pride of seeing the work when it happens and and it is so rewarding and and i hope Lindsay did also find the reward in doing that mm. but i think also um jamie linking with the disability side of it and it really i mentioned it at the beginning but to, to strike it, it again is i think for me being involved in the dsa and some of the conversations i had last week yes it can be hard work and, and that's another way liam is is brilliant supporting us and we get support from the other championship group you know the or, or the premier league it, you know the other dsas is that it is a way for disabled people to use skills and their ideas and their life experiences that may they may no longer be able to use so for example myself as a community worker i'm not well enough now and my disability is is has such an impact on my life i can't be a community worker i try and bring my values and my community work experience and ideas into my role in the dsa 
um, and speaking to three people last week at our meet and greet, that was the same thing. They wanted to get involved because they'd had to stop work and they wanted to do something that gave them some value as mm-hmm. a disabled person. So it's actually the benefits to being involved as well for somebody themselves. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's also too important to point out that being a part of a DSA, whether you're the chairperson or you know, you're anywhere else on the board or you're just someone who is a member, is that it's very much voluntary and it's you, you know, take time out of your day or evening to either join a meeting or answer these emails or text phone calls, whatever it is, because you have the experience and the knowledge and you want to help someone and experience and enjoy football just as much as any other person. And the complementary, and I appreciate the complementary skills that people have. So I joke into that I'm awful at social media and stuff like that. We've got two, well, all our committee is wonderful, but two, two great, Claire and Claire on our committee. They're both carers of young adults with disabilities. They do our social media. And they're absolutely brilliant because they'll they'll post things like when this podcast goes out. But likewise, if something comes up with them that they're not sure about, they contact me or the committee. But they have got those and it fits in with their availability and their time and their skills. Mm. You, you know, that's the other thing about it. It's having a group of people. So everybody's skills are complementary to each other and everybody can offer something. I think as a disabled person, you can go to thinking, you know, you can't offer anything. You're no good for anything. Everybody can offer something, you know, whether it's helping the next meeting week we have. We've already had one lady say she wants to come and help out. Next meeting, next one we have would be great because she can do some of the things that the committee have had to do. So I think it's having those complimentary and working. It's like football, hopefully, working as a team. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's what it is. And it's working together. And and yeah, not, like, like we've mentioned a couple of times, not every time everyone is going to see eye to eye. And it's just about compromising and working out something that's gonna benefit as many people as possible. Um but yeah, that that is that's a that is fascinating to to hear. Um I suppose my next question is more so for you, Lindsay, and you can be as scathing or you can be as nice as possible. Um but I've asked the people who I've had on my podcast their first two episodes of this series the the same question. And the question is basically, what is your, it gives you an opportunity to be nice and not um, in that. What is your best and then your worst or, you know, negative, whatever kind of spin you want to put on it, experience of, um, you know, accessing going to football. That could be, you know, outside travel, getting to the ground, or it could be the physical ground itself and accessing, you know, whatever it is within the ground. Yeah, I think because I had think I think the, the two key things one I've alluded to before, but the first one, and this may sound so corny, <laughs> but any time Forest score a goal, whether it's the scrappiest goal in a League Cup at the middle of nowhere, or well, when I'm there, or a, a match-winning goal, it's just you're just completely lost in the moment. That just complete, they call it the amygdala moment, don't they? You just completely lost lost in it. And I think so. So there's every time for a score a goal, but actually, um, just being there as much as it's difficult for me to get there. As soon as I walk up to my seat um, and sit amongst the fans, I could almost tearful because I actually feel I've come home. I actually feel part of something. So just the actual being there, just actually sitting there, being surrounded by fans, seeing 
I'm very proud of Forest because we've got a reputation for having good fans, but just actually being there, being part of something, mm. just actually sitting around there. Um, so that's the best part. The worst flip side, and I've referred to it before, two things, is not being able to go. Despite buying a season ticket, I can't go till the end of October because of the way the matches have been changed. So that's so actually the worst part of going to football is that I can't go to football very often. Um, mm. And then one experience I had that, again, level playing field were supportive with, um, now wearing very large ear defenders, it's the only way I can go. Um, I have had on occasion people, well, one occasion, not long after COVID had just eased off, come right up into my face and stick their tongue out at me and make faces at me and joke about me because I was wearing these ear defenders. And that was just awful. Um, mm. So so it's the best and the worst. Luckily, that's far and few between. Well, that was only one occasion. Um, the best obviously outweigh the not so good. But mm. we're always about things are good. We make them better. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it's it, as disabled people... We experience, don't we? Um, you know, hardship and the ignorant people, whether it's on social media or you know, out and about or at a football ground. And I think the more, although it's the more experience, kind of thicker skin we become. Whether we should obviously have to experience it in the first place, I think we kind of learn to just you know almost laugh at them and think, you know, so much for you, you're ignorant, this and that, and you know, whatever. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's a few and far between, but when they do happen, it's it's not nice. Um, and Liam, I've kind of got a similar question for you, but kind of more in context of what you do, and that is, um, what are the 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 positive and negatives that you experience in your kind of job, and whether it be the think the, the football clubs or the anyone that makes it easier for you, or the difficulties that you face, what what do they tend to be, or what are the common ones? Um, I, I think that it's kind of a difficult one to answer because the the negatives I always see it as it's not entirely the person within football's fault. It's just the way that football is built. So what I mean by that is the 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 thing that I find frustrating in football is the disabled liaison officer role is usually a role that is several other different roles. So it'd be the ticket office manager or it will be the the uh, it could be the cook to be fair. Like it's it's a role that's just been that sometimes gets punted to someone just because they have some interest in disability. Yeah. Or at times it could be someone who has actually no history in disability, but because they're the ticket office manager, they've been given it. Mm. So that that to me is a, is a is a massive frustration because there is a need for um for DLOs or sorry disabled liaison officers or disabled access officers which we call DAOs um to be a standalone position. So if you're asking me what's the negative thing in football, that that's it for me. It is highly frustrating that sometimes a a person who may not have any knowledge of disability but has been given this role and they might be trying to do it to the best of their ability but they just have no no understanding of it mm -hmm. so, so that's highly frustrating for me the the best thing for me is is when clubs use their own initiative and just do it and and we don't have to be involved at, at the at, at like coming in 
um later later down later down the line so stuff like bright like like it's so silly but just the season ticket to that dog it just shows that that the fan base is 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 important to the football club and and it means something to them that not everyone's the same and and because not everyone's the same we are quite happy to go out of our way to make you feel welcome because sometimes you may come to the football and and you and you may not feel the same but we don't see you as that we see you as a fan that to me when football does that it is is fantastic when paul mullen uh, just uh, so paul mullen is a Wrexham striker um and i believe he was the first one to wear ear defenders coming out on a match day just to highlight people with with either um, uh, hearing uh, issues or people who might be neurodiverse and, and might find comfort in wearing these kind of ear defenders. Having that and having some, seeing someone do that, it, it means so much, not only for the person who's using those ear defenders, but also to the supporters who may not know why, and then they're Googling why, and then they find out, and then they're educated on the reasonings of why someone's wearing ear defenders. So when football do things like that, off its own initiative, because it understands disability, that's when I that's when I I truly do love the sport. And 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 I and it kind of showcases again to me why football has such a unique position in our society because it has the ability to educate mm. and um, it, it makes my life uh, a lot easier um i also feel like I, I will get told off if i don't also talk about unite for access also being a great thing uh to see so a whole weekend of seeing football embrace disability so that can be from the carabao cup final where i was there it was the first time uh the carabao cup final a couple of seasons ago was the first time that they had someone doing uh british uh bsl sign language um alongside someone singing the national anthem um we also have elements of the first time that audio descriptive commentary went to an away game um to, to highlight the need for audio descriptive commentary also known as a adc and also it's an opportunity to promote dsas um so for instance again i'm always going to come back to forest uh i went to forest for the, the the club doing its first unite for access and seeing that they had the uh, dsa um logo up on the big screen was a very proud moment because it's the club embracing an organization that is there for the betterment of disabled supporters and the club have continued to have that on their big screen they didn't need to Mm. Uh, the idea was for them to have it up for that to, to highlight the Unite for Access campaign, but they've continued to have it. And again, it, it, it's representation. It, it's showcasing that doesn't matter your disability, doesn't matter your race, sexuality, religion. Football is for everyone, and symbolism is so important. It can, it, it really can push the needle regarding education uh, that step further. So when football does that well. That, that's that's when I'm happy. And I think mm. linking into that Unite for Action, I think all of us know now, like just like a dog's not for Christmas, disability isn't just for one week and I think is it actually, but the flip side of that is it gives a week to focus on. So Liam mentioned Forest have never had a week of action before. They've never had a DSA before, obviously. But it was that impetus. And again, Liam talked about club having initiative. We work very close with our 
DLO, Disability Liaison Officer, but resources that they have. It was, we've been wanting to do something while it was him that suggested, let's really push to have something ready for the Unite for Action Week. The club then helped us design. We had a logo, but it was old fashioned. They then did the logo, which is now on the big screen. They did some business cards. That when we had our meet and greet, that what we call the big screen was on all the screens in the in the room. So although it was just like it was a focus towards it, and from that more people have joined our committee, and then it sort of gets you going. And then so I think that's important for for that as as well. And knowing that while you're doing something, Swansea DSA are doing something, or Sheffield United DSA are doing something, or or Wrexham are doing something, and just going back to the defenders about the positive as an adult to see an adult wearing ear defenders is huge they even when there's some awareness of ear defenders it's it it, it certainly for a lot of people i know it was that's what children have who are noise sensitive um and then who are maybe neurodiverse so for an adult footballer to be wearing ear defenders said more to me than thousands of words could have said because then I can actually see there's another, I know he's a footballer and I'm not a footballer, there is an adult, another adult wearing ear defenders. Hmm. Yeah, no, I can agree with that. If, if I was to see someone or know about someone, especially a footballer and especially a footballer at Coventry City, for example, walking out with a white cane or a guide dog or whatever it is, that just changes it ever so slightly and makes it, yeah. you know, brings that, that light and that spotlight on it that it deserves and needs to just you know like we've been saying a lot throughout this podcast is to educate and to give people even a slight nugget of knowledge that they can walk out on the ground and be that bit more aware of and um, will just you know make a big difference to to say people no matter what disability you have um and to kind of connect those two things obviously we said what does happen and what we like and what doesn't happen what we don't like you can be as creative as you like, you can be as crazy as you like, but I also ask everyone this, um, and that is, what would you like to see um, from football, whether that's a football club, the stadium itself, if and outside the travel, um, what would you like to see in those areas that will, you think will make football more accessible? And this is a question for, for both of you. So, yeah, just be as as optimistic or, or as pessimistic as you may please you want me to start i mean i think we've covered a lot already haven't we which is which is great about the education and the awareness um i think the key, key things are moving from being reactive to more proactive things so for example if there's a new stadium being built it's don't wait for the dsa to come to you and say can we be involved in consultation go to the DSA in the first place and say we're about to open consultation. We'd like your input and for it to be actively involved. A key thing for me that maybe we've not mentioned quite so much already is information. So again, you know, I've been very complimentary about Forest. We work brilliantly with them. We all agree. The only way to find out information if you're a disabled fan on Forest is to go through about lots of different links to find out about a ticket. Other clubs have got this great, you know, some of the ones. It's, so it's about information. So people don't find out by chance. Going back to the ear defenders, it was only when the 
I think it was the the Dannings or the other one that came up and our social media team posted it, it that I knew as a fan with a hearing impairment that Forests have got ear defenders. Didn't know it. And that's the chair of the DSA. So it's that sharing of information and that information being readily available. Um, so they, I think, are some key things. Yes, the education, the awareness. Um, and I'm just continuing to, to, to work together. But so we're not an afterthought, I think. I think we're an integral part. We're not an afterthought. Mm, I agree, yeah. And and Liam, what, what would your ideas um, be? I, I would like to see more disabled people in the upper echelons of football. So what I mean by that is the people who are CEOs, uh, chief executives, um, that can be in the FA, the Premier League, the EFL. Um, not to make it too political, I would like to see the people in power take disability seriously and 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 not see it as something that is a nuisance. Um, lastly, this is a bit of a controversial one, if the others wasn't, I would like to see disability spoken about on the same level when we talk about equality. Yeah. I don't think it is. I think when yeah. we talk about equality, I think sometimes people mean race. And 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 that's not talking about lowering the conversation regarding race. It's just continuum. Of course, it should continue to be spoken about. But we need to speak about we need it's about raising disability to the level where we're speaking about race. On a match day, if you go on social media you will hear disability abusive language shouted on, on the stands, not directed at a disabled person, but usually at a referee. And and I do apologize for anyone who's offended by this, these this, these kind of words, but spastic, mong, um, uh, uh, are, are words that are thrown at referees on a match day. Because mm. essentially they're implying the referee can't do a job because he's got a disability. But when we talk about language, we don't talk about it in the same prevalence because we've all grown up with this kind of childhood playground language, to which unfortunately those words have been attached to. So what I would like to see change is the idea when we talk about disability, we speak about it in the same prevalence that we do when we talk about other equality groups. And mm. I would like to see Sky Sports, when they flash up about uh, equality, uh, actually acknowledge that they're talking about equality, not just race, because that's the frustration of me every time I watch football. Sky Sports talk about their 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 their, their want to, to talk about inclusivity, but I haven't seen them do a story regarding disability in a very long time. No, I think, yeah, that, I think the good people for that are, what is it called now, is TNT Sports. They, you know, they think they focus on the FA Disability Cup, although it's only once a year, but it's you know certainly more than Sky Sports and um yeah I think I, I agree with the whole kind of putting it on put not not putting it above any other um issues like race gender sexuality just putting it on the same on the same level because what it is it's, it's uh I always get the figures mixed around but it's is it fifteen million people in the UK are disabled. It's the biggest minority group in the UK. Yeah, but we don't speak about it in the same way that 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 it is. Is mm. it's whenever we talk about equality, very rarely is disability. Nah. If it is spoken about, usually it's the last thing that people will speak about. Mm. Um, so yeah. And there's just to touch on that is one more thing as well. I've seen some a few weeks ago um, through the FA 
I think there was like an equality coaching program type thing. I can't remember the actual full title of it, official title of it. And I read it myself and everything was mentioned apart from disability. I think it was to do with referee, refereeing, I think. I think that's what to do with. And it, disability just wasn't mentioned. And I don't know if it was because there was something else being done regarding disability in that same area or... Jamie, can you send me that link? Impossible. It just, I will, yeah. I'll, I'll try and find it. It's, but yeah, I just, nowhere could I find it and mention disability, which I found interesting. Um, and Lindsay as well about information. I think that's massively important because I've used the Level Playing Field website um, several times to get in touch with people like yourself. And um, I'm a big stickler for alt text on social media, like borderline irritating about <laughs> it. <laughs> Um, and I use Level Playing Field you know, where all the information is to contact Club DLOs for them to contact their social media teams about art checks. And if information like the Level Playing Field website wasn't there, I couldn't do that. And football clubs wouldn't include art checks. Um, and that's a big thing for visually impaired and blind people. And same goes for a wheelchair user. You want to know if there's, you know, wheelchair level counters or enough wheelchair spaces or for hearing impaired people there's hearing loops if there's you know uh, guide dog pens for assistant dogs in uh, hearing impaired or vision impaired it's all that stuff if that yeah. that only needs it, to be it's also sorry John. Yeah. I, got on, yeah. I was gonna say it also goes down to like the small stuff that we don't think about what what is the what is the um surface of the car parking is it rubble is it grass like if it's mm. grass, it's going to be slippery when wet. Wet. If it's rubble, it's going to be very hard if you're a wheelchair user or ambulance disabled. Mm. Is, is is the parking um, got efficient lighting? If it's a dark match and you you happen to be partially sighted, it's going to be very difficult for you to find your way if it hasn't been lit up properly. Yeah. Like these are the things that clubs really need to focus on to make the game accessible for all. And I think that's where, if we can all work t- together, I mean, to remember, Forest have, we've pushed and Forest have re- just, just the end of last season for the last game done um, information for disabled away fans. I mean, it'd be great. Hopefully we're going to put that into <laughs> the home fans as well. But things like where you can park, we've already highlighted that parking is very difficult. Um, there are not many spaces at all for home fans. But so we, we but through our networks, me having had lots of inquiries and finding out from people, we could say other places that are, say, you know, the local council building down the road. But again, this is another link where it's all working together. Sent it to Liam just, just to share. Liam highlighted, well, it's a good idea to include how far away that place is. Mm. So it's by us having that key role and working together because sometimes you don't know what what needs to go in because you don't know, and that's a bit of us all working in together. Or if Forest have we donated a wheelchair to Forest, nobody knew we donated a wheelchair to them, so it wasn't used. Mm. You know, so it's those kind of well, it was used eventually, but it, it's it's those mm. those things that I think are important. Yeah, definitely. It's it's just one of those things in it where we we need to work together. And disabled people need to come together because I, as a visually impaired person, blind person, I know a load of stuff about, you know, things being accessible for blind people. But I couldn't say I know a lot about being a wheelchair user or being hearing impaired. So obviously, apart from the the obvious things. So disabled people coming together and joining their ideas together and then taking that one big idea 
to you know the head of the DSA or the DLO or the football club itself. It it just makes sense and it it benefits everyone, and it it's the best way forward to do things like like I said, being proactive and not and not reactive. So, um, yeah, I mean, I feel like we've touched on a lot of things. Um, and like I said earlier, we we could go on for hours, <laughs> but about accessibility within football and surrounding area and and sports in general, um, and. I feel like this is kind of a, a nice way to kind of run off and just saying, you know, sport, football, it plays a massive part in communities and people's lives and it should be accessible for everyone, no matter your disability, um, you know, race, gender and sexuality and everything in between. So, yeah, um, thank you so, so much to you both, Liam and Lindsay, for, for coming on um, and giving up your time in the afternoon to to talk about you guys uh, personally and, and your views on accessibility in football it's been a it's been a pleasure thank it's you Jamie um, and also if anyone wants to find either of you guys um, Liam if people want to find Devil Playing Field or contact yourself where, what can they do and where can they go yeah so if you want to email Level Playing Field it's info at levelplayingfield.org.uk or you just go to the Level Playing Field website which is levelplayingfield.org.uk Awesome. And Lindsay, if uh, disabled fans want to contact you for your yeah. views on DSAs, where can they go? Yeah, we've got the um, we've got the social media and I should know my email. I'm just going to get it. <laughs> yeah, so directly, um, it's, sorry, I won't give up first. Take your time, it's all fine. Sorry, yeah. So yeah, directly it's Forest DSA chairperson at gmail.com awesome and yeah and likewise jamie anything because again appreciate all the support we had when we were setting up from the other dsas if coventry dsa to be or in the making want any just have a chat through there's a few group of you you know once you get going or in the way just Mm -hmm. just shout awesome and i appreciate that very much and uh hopefully we get some running in the coming months because yes yeah, it's, it's about it's about time really so once again i want to say a massive thank you to both of you guys for taking time out your afternoon to speak to myself about your views on accessibility within football like i said at the start if you haven't already please go and check out the other three episodes of this series this is the final episode of the series so i hope you've enjoyed every single one and keep your eyes peeled for future episodes based on different topics surrounding accessibility and disability if you want to follow myself you can at that blind lad on twitter slash x or at tbl media uk for the personal podcast twitter slash x account and yeah catch you very soon